Welcome to the show, folks. I am that Chris Gore. Another episode of Pod Crash for you. And I was doing, I'm one of those guys, if you know me, I'm kind of OCD. I'm ADD, HD, OCD. Um, and I love to organize stuff. One of my favorite things um, is to organize, organize stuff. Uh, one of my favorite, actually Tumblr, I know a lot of people look at Tumblr and they they look at Tumblr for naked pictures of girls. I look at Tumblr for a blog called Things Organized Neatly. That is my porn. I love looking at things that are organized incredibly neatly. And I'm going through some stuff in my garage. And the one thing I realize is I save old technology to my detriment. I've got old video game systems. I've got – I have a – this was one of the first ways that you could watch MPEG-1 uh, videos on a thing called a Philips CDI player. And I actually have old, it's basically movies on a compact disc. And so you would buy films and then you would get them on two compact discs. And so I still have a Philips CDI player and it was basically to, to, to play, uh, video games. Wait, I should, I should mention it's played video games and to play movies. I should mention that, uh, my producer, Sean Merrick is standing here with me yeah. and I'm, and he's 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 got a wide-eyed look well, about. You, talk, you mentioned the CDI, and all I can think of is like the shitty Mario uh, Zelda license they put out. Oh, you even remember those games? Yeah, I never. Oh, they played were terrible. It, it was, was kind of like they were terrible. Yeah, yeah. So so the, the games on the Philips CDI were bad, but it was one of the few places. It was the, one of the first places you could actually watch movies on a compact disc, which uh, was sort of the first step towards uh, DVD. But in, before that, I had a Laserdisc player, and I, I didn't just have a Laserdisc player. I had a Pioneer Laser Active player that had a slot that you could put a uh, you could play um, Sega Genesis Sega CD games. Really? Yeah, you could play Sega CD games like Echo the Dolphin. Did you have Night Trap? I had Night Trap. Uh, there's a long story with that actually. Uh, I had Night Trap. I I had Sewer Shark. If you okay. remember yeah, Sewer, Sewer Shark, Shark yep. and I actually. I liked the full motion video games. I was the only person at the time I worked at a, on a video game magazine called Video Games. Well, it was originally called Video Games and Computer and Entertainment or VG, VGNCE magazine. So I worked on that magazine. That's a, a long-winded story for another time. But I, I, I worked on that magazine because I was just a, a, a video game nerd and, and I love to collect those, those old systems. So um, I had a laser disc player that was a laser active player, so you could play laser disc based video games. So as I'm going through the garage, I'm finding like I have kept old laser discs. So these are like the huge like laser disc. They look like records. They look like albums. Oh, so the okay. ones that I've kept are things like I have. I'm going to admit I kept Tron. I kept. I have a Japanese laser disc of Dune and Star Wars Episode One on, on Japanese laser disc. I know. I know. This is before the special edition 3D version of The Phantom Menace, which will be coming out soon. So do you feel guilty for keeping these? Or is it because I mean these sound like no, no, collector's items. It's not it's not guilt so much as stupidity. Because I've I'm constantly collected this stuff. And I also it's it's I feel like DVDs are going that way. DVDs and Blu-ray are you know the the future is obviously going to be download. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest. Um, Blu-ray, because the, you had competing formats with um, HD, DVD, and then you had Blu-ray, that competition confused consumers to the point where they just didn't adopt the HD version. Plus the fact that like um, the uprising was so good on, on Blu-ray players, you could put a standard def DVD into a Blu-ray player, mm-hmm. and it looked, it looked great to the point where you know, I'd be at Best Buy and I'd have some – Old ladies say, which one is the Blu-ray? Which one is the HD? You couldn't tell. And that's disheartening. But that's not my story. My story is I'm going through boxes of stuff in my garage with DVDs and happen across a box of Red, uh, a movie I made called Red years ago. When I first moved to Los Angeles in the early 90s, um, I met Lawrence Tierney and I did a short film with him. It's like a 30-minute short shot in black and white uh, Super 8, which was cut on video. And the, it's, it's about the tube bar. You ever heard of the tube bar tapes? No. The tube bar are these tapes that are like these series of prank phone calls. Um, you know, you, you've seen The Simpsons, that sketch with Mo, where um, – Bart know, calls up and says, yeah. you know, hey, Amanda, hug and kiss. And yeah. That's, a, that's all from the red tapes or also known as the tube bar tapes. So I made this, uh, I made this 
short years ago, which, which I put out on VHS. And from that kind of came like, became like this cult thing. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the greatest movie ever, but there's some, there's some funny stuff in it. There's some, there's some funny stuff. There's uh, it, it, it's basically a, a way where I used the actual phone calls and, um, as a way to kind of tell so the it, story. Did, did this predate Jerky Boys? This was this was around the same time as Jerky Boys, but okay. no one no one um, no one really knew who made those phone calls. It wasn't until years later that those guys actually contacted me online, and of course, I sent them boxes of DVDs. But I ran across my last box of red DVDs, which is. Which is actually depressing for, for a couple of reasons. One, I realize the DVD is going the way of the dinosaur. I really think that it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's got a life of like, I, I feel like, you know, in 20 years we'll still be able to go to places in, in, in like Iowa and you'll still find DVDs. But I well, feel I mean, like you can we're, still find VHS stores and those have been, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously very small cult stores that sell VHS exclusively. Well, funny thing about that, I still have a collection of over a thousand VHS tapes that I am slowly converting um, converting onto drives. Mm. So if anyone out there would like to if anyone out there would like to have an internship working for me, converting VHS tapes onto a drive, contact me. Go to uh, chrisgore.com and click on contact. That'll go directly to me and inquire about an internship. And and I'll put you on that project, but go. But but this is the last box of these DVDs. So yeah. and I'm I'm not going to press anymore. Um, this is it, and 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 it, it just reminded me that I've got. Not only was I uncovering all this old technology like Philips CDI movies and laser discs and VHS tapes, but also um, these these DVDs that I didn't realize that I still had. So. Um, I'm actually, and I'm, this isn't any kind of plug. This just ha- happened to be a story, but something that, that recently happened. I'm going to sell these DVDs because I really, I, I've given them out. I've given plenty out to people. Um, if you've never heard of this short, you can find clips from it on YouTube, Red with Lawrence Tierney. And uh, if you go to etsy.com slash shop slash Chris Gore's Love Spray, that's... I know, I, know, I know what you're That's name. the name of my shop. I know. That, that's the name of my shop. My shop is, okay, it's Etsy.com. It's E-T-S-Y. Etsy.com slash shop slash Chris Gore's Love Spray. There's no apostrophe. It's Love Love Spray was the name of my band when I would play rock band. I would always oh, okay. name my, I would name my band Chris Gore's Love Spray. It's, it's, you're getting, I'm getting my, my love all over you. Yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of like a, kind of like a Gallagher concert, I guess. <laughs> yeah. In any case, so um, I, I I've got uh, just one box left of these DVDs. If you put in the offer code PodCrash after you go to etsycom shop love spray, put in the offer code PodCrash, you'll get fifty percent off the DVD. So that's my. I know it sounds weird, but we have to we have to do something because. I was, I was, I was uh, telling, I was, I was on another podcast recently where I was basically saying that I successfully did film threat for 25 years and did not make money. And I keep doing things like here, I'm doing this podcast and we're not making money. No, we're not making. So, so maybe you can throw a little cash my way. Um, I'll send you a copy of the DVD signed. I'll send you a signed DVD and I'll throw in, I'll throw in, I'll throw in a free prize. If you put in that offer code pod crash, you'll get 50% off. And I'll, I'll throw in something in addition to the DVD. Yeah. I'm not going to say what it is. A free gift. I used to love that when I was a kid. Whenever it would say free gift. And not know support, what it is. That's and not know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I was going to tell you what it – I was going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you now. All right. Let's get right to this week's uh, crash. I appeared on th- – this, this, was, this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. This was one of one of the best times I've had on a podcast. It was done in person, which I actually prefer to do a podcast in person. As much as I love Skype, um, doing it in person, there's nothing better than just, you know, hanging out, making eye contact with someone who's sitting across from you and having a good conversation. And Caleb Bacon does a podcast called The Gentleman's Club. And uh, you can check out his website, gentlemensclubpodcast.com. There's no apostrophe, just gentlemensclubpodcast.com. Um, he's also on Twitter at gentlemen's or at Caleb Eats Bacon on Twitter. And Caleb is great. Um, Caleb was one of the first people to respond when Podcrash came out and we asked, hey, would anyone like to you know, have 
Chris as a guest on their podcast, and then actually, it kind of went the way it went. I think a lot of people said you should do Caleb's show. And really? Then, yeah. And then is that of, how it went? Yeah, it was kind of, well, it kind of went kind of both ways. I think he he was on there, and then people were saying, "Oh, you should do it." And he then, he jumped in. But what's cool about in, yeah. what's cool about Caleb is is we become good friends on the internet. Like yeah. that's how, that's why I usually become friends with somebody. Either work with them or I be, meet them online. Mm-hmm. We chat, and then eventually hang out in person. Beer is involved. Then somehow a woman. It, it 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 devolves from there, but but um, Caleb, uh, I actually he he posts to a group on Facebook. It's called the, what is it? The inter the Independent Podcast Alliance. It's the IPA, which is also a, a good beer that you should try. But the Independent Podcast Alliance is a group that I'm actually very active on on Facebook, and it's yeah. it's all people who independently put out uh, podcasts. And the conversation uh, ranges from content of podcasts to equipment that, that is you can use to software to how to make money with a podcast. I still think that there's no answer to that question unless you run across an old box of DVDs like I did in my garage, and I'm going to sell them to you at 50% off. Sean, I'll give you one. I'll give you a copy of Red. That's, uh, that, sounds, that sounds great. And Caleb, next time I see you, I'll give you a copy of Red. Uh, but everyone else, uh, I'll just uh, for listeners of this show, uh, it'll be fifty percent off. But Caleb was great. Pod I crash, went. Uh, is, is, is the code. Pod crash is the code. I went to so I went to Caleb's apartment, uh, which was in Los Feliz, which is actually really close to like where I used to live in that area. I had an apartment in that area at uh, at a, a, a period of my life, and I love that area because you could walk to everything. You could walk to Jumbo's clown room. Which um, I'm, I know that Caleb and I mentioned that at some point in in, in the podcast, yeah. but um, just went into uh, Caleb's apartment. Uh, we just had a very mellow conversation about everything. I mean, it's just all over the map. We talk about nerdy things. We talk about uh, talk about ladies, and we also talk about a job that I've never discussed. I've never discussed actually this job that really? I've had on this podcast. I. Uh, I actually worked for Hustler Magazine. It's my first job when I moved to Los Angeles. And when I when I moved to LA, I was doing Film Threat Magazine at night and then I was working for Larry Flint during the day. So I had the kind of the small office where I did Film Threat out of and then during the day I wrote jokes for Hustler Magazine and there's a section called Bits and Pieces. I talk about it on the show, but I would write jokes and then I would direct photo shoots with girls where we would do visual representations of the jokes. And I talk about that on the podcast. I, I, I can see you. I can see your eyes lighting up there. Everyone gets excited. Like, oh, you, you worked for Hustler. Like, so did you meet any girls? That will be discussed on, on Caleb's podcast, uh, Caleb Bacon's The Gentleman's Club. Um, so so uh, give it a listen. And Sean and I will be, will be chiming in with comments here and there. Here we are, The Gentleman's Club with the great Caleb Bacon. Gentlemen's Club. This is Mr. Don Magic Wand, chairman of the board of famous players everywhere, and you're listening to the Gentlemen's Club. Check, preach, have a knacker. It's the only way we're going to get any action. Coming to you free in MP3 from Los Angeles, it's the Gentlemen's Club with me, Caleb Bacon. This is a show where I talk to people guys find interesting about stuff guys find interesting. This week's guest is Chris Gore. Chris Gore, what's happening? I, I, I am uh, enjoying your neighborhood um, because I used to live around here. That's right. I used to live around here. In fact... Represent East Hollywood. That's right. I used to live around here because we... I mean, here we are. We're close to Jumbo's Clown Room. The world-famous Jumbo's Clown Room. World-famous Jumbo's Clown Room. I, I pretty much bring all my out-of-town visitors there. It's, well, it's great because it's no cover charge. And it's pe- technically a strip club. <laughs> right, but there's no nudity there. So if anybody asks you, did you go to a strip club? I did not see any nudity that night. And it's clown-themed. <laughs> right, cl- yeah, clown-themed, uh, which kids love. But, but I used to live <laughs> on Normandy Avenue, so I was just walking distance. I, yeah. That was my corner bar. Um, I just you know go around there. And what I'm surprised about is, because this area is known for bad parking, I actually found parking before I came up Very here. Very nice. Well, it's in the middle of the day, which helps. Right, right. Night in the morning, forget about it. No, yeah, and on the weekends, yeah, once you find a parking space, you begin to question, do I want to cab it, keep my good parking spot, or drive my car and risk that I may not find parking four blocks from my house? 
Yeah, I've underground parking, so I'm good to go. But but I have friends who just like won't come over. Uh, that used to happen to me. It actually it actually curbed my social life in yeah. a way. It curbed it and it helped it because because girls would come over and they would uh, find good parking or they would find parking that was far away or they might cab it over. So in a way, they were trapped. <laughs> but I have a I have a story actually related to parking. Yeah, hit me. It was um it was a girl. A girl who wanted to fuck me, but I couldn't find parking. Yeah. And it, it was a weird thing where I've been dating this girl for, um, I don't know, I've been dating her for like a few weeks where you're building up to where you know you're going to have sex. Yeah. Like the next, it's like we've gone on the required number of dates where we will find, finally our, our genitals are going to say hello. And she doesn't feel like a skank about it. Ready to go. No, but I, but she did... Give me something of a speech in which she said, um, you know, that if we have sex, that um, we're going to be exclusive. And I was like, we're going to be exclusive. Like, OK, well, all right. So we'll be exclusive. All right. Well, that's which at, at the time I was dating a bunch of different girls. I really didn't want to be exclusive with anybody. So she had laid this fact on me and I was like, all right. So I guess when we do it, I'll be exclusive with her. Um, for so, that night, well, yeah, for a twenty-four so, hour period. Yeah, so we so we went out, and it was this thing where we were going back to her place, um, which was in Hollywood, but not far from my place in Los Feliz. So, so I'm sitting here. I dropped her off. She's like, okay, you know, she, she was going to set up candles. She was going to get <laughs> drinks out. All that sort of preparation it sounds exclusive, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, but all I had to do was just find parking a few blocks from her house. I drove around the block and around the block. And blocks in the surrounding area, and I really had to piss. Oh, um, I had to pee so bad. And I've talked about this before. I only have one kidney, so I my superpower is I urinate three times more than the average person. <laughs> I was dying, and it was a busy like Saturday night in Hollywood. I I mean, traffic was bad, and I I, I actually considered, you know, I'm just going to pull over, run up to one of these bushes on the side of one of these apartment buildings, take a leak. They get back in my car. It was so bad. I thought, you know what? Why am I driving around and around looking for parking? I live less than two miles away. Yeah. I'll go home. I'll take a leak and I'll come back. This is a half hour after looking for parking, whatnot. Yeah. I, I am racing and I'm doing that pee dance that, you know, you see kids do when they're like four or five years old and they, and you can tell that they got to pee. I'm, I'm doing that in the car as I'm driving. I park my car. I race up to my apartment and I, I just blaze away in the toilet. Oh, I unleashed. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely unleashed, and the phone's ringing as I'm doing that. I'm like, ugh. I call her back, because it's more than 30 minutes later. I disappeared. She's like, what happened to you? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I told her. I said, oh, I couldn't find parking. I I had to, you know, I had to piss. Um, I'm sorry. I actually just went back to my apartment. She's like, where are you coming over? And l- right out of a movie, you know, when, when you hear, like, it's it's like a flashback. I had a flashback in my head. You know, you could hear this in some echo. If if we have sex, we're going to be exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. 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 And when I heard that ringing in the back of my head, she said, so you're going to come over? And I just said, nah, I'm good. And that was it. Parking has actually affected your sex life as well. It, and my uh, pocketbook. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. Because there was no parking, uh, you know, it was the middle of the night. I wasn't going to have her, like, you know, walk a mile or something like that. And so there's a grocery store around the corner. And, you know, there's signs, you know, we tow, we tow, we tow. I've seen tow trucks over there. And she's like, well, I can't park over there. I'm like, look, don't worry about it. And so I convince her to park over there uh, at the grocery store. And we go back to my place. And uh, she's like, well... What happens if I get towed? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll pay for it. Sure, whatever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and so we, we come over here. We do our thing. We go back. Her car's not there. Uh, we got to go to an impound lot in Glendale. It's like 4 a.m. You know, there's like a, like a, like a dog barking. There's nobody there. And, uh, <laughs> the costs... dog barking right out of a, like some bad TV show. Yeah, it's like the Rottweiler at the impound lot. <laughs> right, you know, it's right. It's like the guy has to wake up who's there and it cost me 300 bucks to have sex that night. You, you would have been better off just to go to a massage parlor with release. Uh, I recently saw you do an in-person interview. Where? With the Muppets. 
Uh, yes. On G4 television, Attack I of the did, Show. As for the Muppets, yeah, I got to interview the Muppets. Here's what people don't know about that interview. What ended up happening was I'm there with one of what I consider to be one of the best producers on Attack of the Show. Um, and uh, I won't give his name up because uh, he's not here to give me permission to discuss this story. But we got into trouble when, we were about, when I was about to go into the room to interview Miss Piggy and Kermit, the performers, the people who perform Miss Piggy and Kermit, were basically under chairs that had no bottoms, and <laughs> they were completely visible. Okay. Now, um, one of the things that the Jim Henson and company have done over the years is to control the way that any image of Muppets seen that is behind the scenes is... is um, Kept secret Makes for, the, sense. for the most part. Um, I mean, there's that recent documentary that came out, Being Elmo, about the guy who created Elmo. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, it's it's a documentary that's uh, I have not seen it. Really, really um, interested in seeing that one. But um, I know that, for example, when they were making the Muppets, the new Muppets movie with Jason Segel, that um, children were not allowed on the set because they've had too huh. many cases where. Kids would come to the set and they'd see the Muppets sitting on a table. Basically, they're dead. Yeah, they just start screaming and crying. Dead Muppets. So my producer brought a flip cam and, you know, thought that, oh, it'd be cool to get some sort of behind the scenes. And he actually took some video of them doing the Muppets when the door came open for me to go in and mm-hmm. do my interview. He got a little bit of video footage of the um, people who were playing um, Kermit and Miss Piggy, which turned five minutes later the publicist from the disney company had contacted the talent department at g4 who contacted called me and were screaming and yelling how what are you doing with a camera in there it's unauthorized you're not supposed to shoot the performers the the play and and first of all i knew this i warned the producer i said you know i don't think we should be doing this because Hmm. i happen to know for a fact that they keep the performers who play them up it's secret they keep that behind closed doors so that turned into a whole, a whole hullabaloo really over nothing i mean he deleted the file um and showed it to the girl so i i, I really felt bad for him and whenever i get in, in situations like that where people are yelling at me i i i have to sort of keep from i mean i have to kind of keep from laughing because i know that they're upset for a reason i also know this is not a big deal <laughs> it's not a big deal relax folks but what was funny was is jason siegel then appeared um uh, like a week or so later, he was on Saturday Night Live. And you know when they do the goodbye at the very end of the show and right. everybody sort of gathers up on stage? The people who played Kermit and Miss Piggy were up on stage with their arms up the rears of those characters. So effectively revealing themselves. So I kind of think that, okay, I guess that they just decide when it's cool yeah. to do that. Um, but what was what was weird was is everyone was giddy at that junket, you know, I, 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 yeah. I, this is part of what I do for my job, but, um, they were just giddy because they got to interview the Muppets. But I think the best thing was when I got to interview Jason Siegel and asked him like, why is it that the Muppets are so popular with adults? Why are we sort of entranced by this? And I had to admit that I actually got nervous when I went in to interview Kermit and Miss Piggy, because I've been <laughs> watching them since I was a kid. And Jason, well, Siegel, have you ever interviewed a puppet before? No, um, Maybe a, a real doll? No, yeah, I was going to say. I've done some strange things. I interviewed James Dean's grave once for an early issue of Film Threat. Yeah. Um, I went to Fairmont, Indiana and did that. But but uh, when I talked to Jason Siegel, he said that the reason that Muppets have a place in our hearts is because it reminds us of what we wanted to be when we were kids. Okay, so I, I can see that, that you're kind of giddy over the, the Muppets. It's It's weird how, like... What was strange was, because um, I do a lot of these film junkets, yeah, yeah. those Muppets, are they're like rock stars. People get people were starstruck. Well, they're icons in popular culture for years and years. So it's like people that are my age and your age. I mean, everybody knows them. Well, you, you, you I mean, you grow up with the Muppets. I mean, effectively, yeah. we, you know, we all grew up with, with Grover. Grover, you know, the voice of Yoda. Grover does the voice of Yoda, let's be honest. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, my question is though in terms of like this whole incident that you're discussing mm-hmm. about pe- your producer taking a picture now has there ever for you as a person you know that's you know you you your attitude and just going in and doing whatever and just having fun is that is that something where you would never want to do that 
like what do you mean like break that like break that code where it's like that's where you were like I got you no, I would there's a weird thing like yeah like I, I I do like to mess with people but that's there's sort of like there is just a level of respect and I guess maybe it comes from when I was a kid growing up with the Muppets that yeah yeah I would never break that trust but uh, you know what you know what else you can listen to us on Stitcher that's right listen to Pod Crash with me that Chris Gore on on your iPhone Android phone BlackBerry. Uh, you know, and on the internet, Stitcher Smart Radio for your phone. Find it in the App Store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. See how I snuck that in? That was perfect. That was terrible, actually. I thought that was the worst. Let's get back to the podcast. Back to Caleb Bacon's The Gentleman's Club. Which is strange that there's not a porn star Muppet. I yeah. don't know why, you know, they've got... Don't they have a Muppet now who has AIDS? I hope uh, so. On Sesame Street, there's actually one of the Muppets. And I don't know that it's it's in the U.S. yet, but I know that in... Um, South America, they uh, and one of the versions of Sesame Street that they make for other countries, um, there's one of them up. It happens to have AIDS because a lot of it's it's tragic. No, so not even HIV positive, full blown. Yeah, one of them up. It says is HIV. Po- yeah, I mean this is something you can Google. Um, I know what I know. I mean this was a big story in the news, uh, but how did we segue into this? <laughs> so one of the Muppets where is, is like, where is this going? On Sesame Street, he's like, oh, I've got a cold sore. Hopefully my immune system can handle it or else I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's like those – you can get those uh, virus plushies now where they take just certain yeah, I've seen that. viruses and turn them into plushies. Yeah. It's not, really, it's not really cute. Not cute. Certain things, no matter how much you try to make them cute, are just not cute. Who else have you interviewed recently that's been, uh, been memorable other than a puppet? Oh, wow. Um I'd say one of the most memorable ones recently was Mickey Rourke, who I've interviewed twice and who is freaking insane. I mean, he is, I felt like when I was interviewing him for The Wrestler that he was auditioning to be a villain in a Batman movie. I mean, he he really was like, oh, they they have to cast Mickey Rourke as the Riddler because he's just freaking nuts. I mean, he ended up playing sort of the lame villain in Iron Man 2, but um, I, I, I think you don't need any sort of... Uh, pomp and circumstance special effects to make him creepy and scary. He's <laughs> kind of like that in real life. He, I mean, he has a presence. And uh, during the interview, I was talking to him about the about Immortals, which I happen to really like. Um, he threatened me with a sword, which was fun, and then gave it to me. He's like, hey, you take it. And then I took the sword out of the interview, and the, the people from the junket looked at me and goes, yeah, you're not going to get to keep that. <laughs> so what does it which look like when a Mickey Rourke threatens somebody with a sword? Uh, he's intimidating. Yeah. He's intimidating for sure. But, but really, for the most part, when I interview celebs, I go in with an attitude, look, I just don't give a shit. And then the don't give a shit, which I've said many times before, the don't give a shit attitude is like a cologne that attracts vagina. <laughs> it truly is. If you act like you don't care... It's something that people are attracted to that aspect. Like, you just don't care. And by that, I mean, I, it's not that I don't care. It's that I don't care what you think of me. I don't, I, don't get, I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. So then I go in, and I know I can say anything. And I'll play off them. And you literally have seconds before the interview starts to kind of get some kind of rapport going, which I try to do. Um, hey, Mickey, nice sword. Yeah, exactly. Like, really quickly, you know, just like some comment whatnot i try to have sort of a real bonding moment and then and then just like ask questions and just like make it a real conversation like we're doing now the only problem is i have four minutes and a lot of times there's a yeah. there's someone there with a with a you know a counter like giving you these signals you know wrap it there's up always a bitch which is which is a, a pain in the ass but i i, I you know i i don't know i i think g4 trusts me to do it enough to go and do it on my own without a producer untethered so they'll. Oh, that's nice. I've had the opportunity to go to other countries and, and interview people, which I really like. So got to interview Andy Circus recently, which was awesome. Um, Andy Circus, of course, of played Gollum and also in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, who may in fact get nominated for an Oscar for his performance as Caesar. I didn't see Rise of the Planet of the Apes, but it seems like I should. I love the Planet of the Apes movies, the old school ones. Yeah. Although what they did is we did this motion capture thing where I got to be an ape huh. from from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and when I was. What's so funny, when I was talking to Andy Serkis, I, get, I said, you know, I wore the motion capture suit, and I wanted to ask you, aside from fully shaving my body, what other motion capture uh, tips can you give me? Um, and then we went to this whole conversation about how, you know, basically the suit is covered with 50 balls, which is the second most balls I've ever been covered in. <laughs> but I'm having this, you know, semi-serious conversation with Andy. It's fun to be able to make him laugh. But what was, what was really cool, we went to the motion capture studio, and so I was sort of demonstrating the technology that they used to create Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But what I did was I did the walk 
from the original Planet of the Apes. You know what I'm saying? Like the old school Roddy McDowell. It's sort of right, a it's right. sort of a bouncy thing, and it's it's more like a it's sort it's more of an erect sort of. It's a very fanciful walk, <laughs> like a butler who's got to take a crap. That's kind of what. That's kind of what the old school. So I I was acting like an old school Planet of the Apes, but in the new school design on a motion capture uh, uh, monitor, which was kind of funny. Now I officially know why it says nerd liberty <laughs> on all your well, bios. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't know, you know, one of the things, and I think this actually is helpful when it comes to being successful in the entertainment industry is trying to focus what you do, mm-hmm. focus what you do. You're an actor. Okay. You are a writer. You are a director. You are a producer. You are a TV host. You are a blah, blah, blah. And when I look at my career is so complicated. There are people that knew me when I was in the magazine world because I didn't just do Film Threat magazine. I also did a magazine about video games. Did you do Hustler too? I I, I worked on Hustler actually as we'll a, go back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go back to that one. But but you know, so there were people that knew me in one world as a, a writer in in print and magazines. Then I wrote books about film. Then I did. TV, so that I would literally have completely different sets of friends from different groups that knew me in different ways. And, and you know, I guess I have such a, I have this sort of list of credits that's kind of all over the map. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't even try to make sense of my LinkedIn profile. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just, it's, it's all over the place. So that's why I just started calling myself a nerd liberty. But I think I have to change that now because I feel that like Chris Hardwick with Nerdist has kind of co-opted the word nerd and I can't really use the term nerd anymore i feel like he's he's done such an amazing job with his 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 whole network yeah, of podcasts totally. and the nerdist brand that if i use the word nerd liberty anymore i feel like yeah i feel like people are gonna say i'm copying him although i've used that term since like 2005 let's, no talk, let's talk about hustler hustler okay yes hustler you Now i have read that magazine for the pictures yes not recently, but you know, in the yes. in the nineties, which is probably when you were over there. If one, yes, it was the nineties. If one were to pursue a career as a gynecologist, an extremely useful magazine. Yeah. Uh, yes, there's it's it's, right up in there. You see more of a woman than you may have ever seen, and um, yeah, it was actually my first job moving when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, so when was that? This was eighty nine, eighty nine, and I was doing film threat as like this underground magazine um that was like a newsprint and it was cheaply done that must have been a huge pain in the balls like well, to do diy stuff now there's more structures in place uh, yeah, well yeah like back in the day i look and i'm like how did i do all this stuff um and and i just done film threat it was sort of this bizarre thing because what happened in film threat is yes it was a movie magazine but at the same time i couldn't keep myself from making fun of things in the magazine. I, yeah. it, so it ended up in, in a way being like um, people compared it to like spy magazine. Cause there would be a sense of humor woven throughout, which really came from my bizarre sensibilities. So <laughs> one of the editors at hustler had, had um, recognized that and just invited me to be an editor and edit a section called bits and pieces where I got to direct photo shoots with naked girls. I'm listening. <laughs> but it was like, it sounds, it sounds way more fun than it actually was in real life. Well, so why does somebody you say, know, you write funny things. How about direct naked girls? Right, right, exactly. Well, it's, it was one of those things where we'd, I'd, you know, on Monday I'd go in, we'd come up with ideas. So it'd be concepting. And I'd say, well, I want to do a fake movie poster. And the fake movie poster will be, be uh, The Revenge of Anne Frank. And what it is is Anne Frank is, uh, has risen from the dead as a zombie, and uh, she's risen from the dead to kill Nazi skinheads, because I always hated Nazi skinheads growing up in Detroit. So, um, so, I apologize and, for my haircut. <laughs> that's okay. So, so, I, so I will play one of the Nazi skinheads. We'll, we'll put a bald cap on me. And then, of course, the editor would go, and Anne Frank is naked. Well, of course she's naked. It's a zombie. It's a naked zombie Anne Frank. Risen from the dead to kill Nazi skinheads, and I have a swastika on my forehead, and she's ripping off my scalp. So um, that was that was the concept. Then we would I would have uh, we would draw sort of like what it would look like, and we'd look at the props. It's like okay, we need to do a bald cap, we need some wardrobe, we need a naked girl who needs zombie makeup, and then we need a set, and we need some sort of harsh horror movie horror looking lighting. And then on Friday, I would direct the photo shoot. The photos would come back the next week. I'd edit the photos. I'd write the copy that would surround it. I always like to say the, 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 um, 
the 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 range of humor was toilet poo poo homo butt, yeah. and if you could throw in a little politics, um, that's what I some sort of social commentary woven into the joke. That's something that I would like. Push Nazis for. are bad. Nazis don't like them. Not a favorite of mine. Yeah. Not a fan of the Nazis. That was that was how that took place. But what was weird was it was the most it was the least sexy thing you could think of. I mean, first of all, hot lights. After a while, a girl under hot lights doesn't smell good. <laughs> That's A. B, there was always some drama. Either it was a drug dealer boyfriend or something about pay or something about getting a ride or showing up on time. Yeah. Um, you really kind of you have to create a two to three hour window. Um, one girl wouldn't show up and, and so we'd have to use a different one. I mean, at the time, the whole time I was uh, worked at Hustler, I had a girlfriend. and Idiot. Yeah, I know. And- my friends were so envious, and I'm thinking, I never want to have sex with any of these girls. They were just really unattractive. Not that you turned it down, but you just didn't want to put in effort. It, it, it was just one of those things where, to me, their personalities were so vile that, yeah. like, um, and I felt so sad. It was either sad or just bad. And, I, you know, they were coming in to pose for 100 or 200 bucks. Nice. And, and, to be uh, Zombie Anne Frank. Zombie Anne Frank. I mean, that was one of the, but um, strangely, Larry Flint happened to like the stuff that I did so much, he actually did an entire magazine dedicated just to wow. the stuff that I did. Can you do a Larry Flint impression? Uh, this is a Larry, Larry Flint. Uh, I, what I, actually, okay, that's terrible, but it was <laughs> definitely something of, oh, Larry. let me tell you a story. Um, that's Jimmy Stewart, actually. Yeah, it's a little bit of Jimmy. It is yeah. a, sort of a, it's basically Jimmy Stewart uh, as he's drinking milk of magnesia or something. <laughs> but what I would do is I would call up people in the company, it, like in intercompany calls. I would put myself on cell phone and do the Larry Flint imitation and scare the shit out of people. It was nice. one of my favorite things to do. But I, and while I was there, I'll admit to this, I stole office supplies probably every day from, from, when I worked there to the point where I still have envelopes and post-it notes from when I worked there in the 90s. I still have them to today. Do they say hustler? No. What's funny is, is, is whenever anyone finds out that I used to write for Hustler and work there and directed these photo shoots, they're always curious about the girls. Mm-hmm. And I can just say that um, I could just confirm it's, as, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. It doesn't seem as glamorous as you would think it would be. It's about it's about the as far away from glamorous. I mean, I really got to give credit to to men who work in porn. Yeah, men who work in pornography. I feel like they the, the fact that that under those circumstances, hot lights, you're surrounded by people. There's all this pressure that you can perform at the level that they're able to perform. Bravo to them. Yeah. Because because I got to say, just being there, there's just nothing. It's actually incredibly clinical. Um, in a way, it's like going. It's like the doctor's office. I would imagine it's probably being a lot like being backstage at a strip club, like in the girls' locker room, and just being very like tense. Or I don't. I don't, I don't what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you talking about? I think that act would actually be fun. It just depends on 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 the type of uh, strip club. But not a lot of people uh, know that I've done that job. It's not something I actually put on my resume. It's not like I'm. You know, it's just it's 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 so it's weird, like because you never know who you're going to meet. Some people have like a a weird well, what was, a weird what was, thing about about uh, adult content, but like like I mean, Francis Ford Coppola made like a, a lot of directors started out making like films that were of an adult nature. I mean, famously Sylvester Stallone that movie uh, Italian Stallion. Yeah, well, I mean, well, a lot of like big time writers and screen, you know, and directors. I mean, that's where you start out making the schlock, and then right. you build your way up. Right, and then you, you find out though if you see Italian Stan, he's pretty much hung like Bucky Larson. Although no one that I know has seen Bucky Larson, which has a zero percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is fascinating. Anyways, uh, back to the Gentlemen's Club. But um, it was a good. I, I mean, I'm grateful to Larry Flint for that job because it was my first real job where I got a salary. Sounds like a fun time in your life. It was, it was fun. It was, and I, I felt like I got paid to learn. Um, but looking back at like the jokes, I, I won't say that I'm proud of the stuff that I did there. Um, and it's not something I put on my LinkedIn resume, but I'm not going to deny that I did it. I mean, I used my, I used my real name says Chris Gore on those issues. Now, how much of that was 
you making poor creative choices versus what they wanted you to do? I would always try to pitch something where it's just like, okay, I try to pitch a movie parody or I try to pitch something that was a break, what they called a breakaway. And I did do one where I had aliens having sex with a girl. So these aliens landed, um, grabbed a girl, brought this girl into their marsh in the Martian spaceship and had ten it was like tentacle porn but it was live action. <laughs> and I did this like in the in the 90s. So it's like this was like all I had I'd seen like movies like Legend of the Overfiend. I thought, "Well, I want to do that like in real life. Let's see if I can do that." I even recreated one of my favorite movies, the the head that wouldn't die or the brain that wouldn't die. I, I did a photo shoot where I had a girl. This guy was uh, getting a blowjob from his girlfriend in a car. The car crashes. These are like fumetti's. So they're done like comic books but shot live action. Um, and this is how they'd be like five or six pages in the magazine. So this guy's getting a blowjob from his girlfriend. He gets in a car accident. Her head gets chopped off. He takes the head back to his lab, brings the head back to life, needs to attach the head to a body because her body was mangled, goes to a strip club, finds a black chick, brings her back to his lair, chops her head off, takes the white chick's body, puts it on the, on the <laughs> black girl's, takes the white chick's head, puts it on the black girl's body, and then has sex with it. This is what I was creatively able to do what job, you know, in my early 20s that could I have done where I yeah. could even have, like, come up with that idea? They were very supportive of just, like, any stupid thing that, that I thought of. And they're saying, good job. Good job to the point where, like, Larry's, like, do a, do a whole magazine of just this stuff. Which I found out later was, like, the least selling uh, issue of their spinoff specials. You know, it's like college girls on the beach would sell better. But I, it was just a way that, like, oh, I've got this budget to create weird things. Push the limits. So how'd you make the jump to television? That's another story. I mean, like having done Film Threat, and this was like when Film Threat was transitioning from print, you know, where there was a paper crisis in like the late 90s where um, paper like doubled in price. And so a lot of small magazines went under. I mean, around the same time, Spy Magazine went out of business, The Nose, um, other music magazines. Um, A lot of the alternative magazines just went under in the late 90s because of this paper crisis or they stopped publishing and basically because of that we started an email newsletter that grew to like a hundred thousand readers which was big at the time and then we in the 90s yeah in the 90s yeah and then and a hundred thousand people getting this email and then because people already were familiar with the magazine and then we did this website and then from that there were just some reviews i was just doing this email newsletter with reviews on the website hoping one day to bring the printed magazine back Uh, you know um and someone from a show called the x show read filmthreat.com and read some of my reviews and just thought that they were weird and (laughs) funny and thought well this guy this guy you know maybe he could do tv and at the time i'd only ever been like a guest on television shows and never actually done real tv so um so they brought me in to do an audition and like I was saying earlier about the who gives a shit attitude is like a cologne that attracts vagina. I, at the time, I was writing two books, which I don't recommend doing. and was busy. I didn't want to go in for a TV audition. This is a waste of time. I got two books. I got deadlines looming. I, I, this, is, this is a distraction for me. They brought me in. They said, well, what do you think of Star Wars Episode One? Oh, I'll tell you what I think. And I went on a whole rant about how lame it was and how you know, George Lucas probably, you know, they, they say, well, write what you know. And I can tell you what George Lucas has been doing for the last 10 years, 20 years, he's been going to a lot of meetings because episode one is a, is a series of meetings. The <laughs> Jedi go to have a meeting with the Nemoidians, uh, the, the, the Federation. They, then they, they go down. The Federation has a meeting via Skype with, uh, what's her name? The Queen Amidala on the planet. Then there's another meeting with Darth Sidious and, and Darth Maul. Then the Jedi have a meeting with the Council uh, of, of the the Jar Jar Binks people. It's just, it's relentless. It's a series of people having boring meetings. This was my rant that I gave to them. And And you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it was exactly like in screenwriting 101, all the things they tell you not to do is, is what George Lucas did in solely writing um, Star Wars episode one. I mean, this guy was a little out of practice um, uh, in terms of filmmaking, but I mean, look, I could rave on and on about great things he's done, and then the prequels is 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 a source of disappointment. So for you, when they come back generation. in 3D, you're not going to go see them. Of course, I'm going to go see them. <laughs> How can I complain about them if I don't see them? 
That's half the joy of... It's just a series of meetings in 3D. Half the joy of Star Wars, talking about Star Wars now, is complaining about it and how it could have been better, but... um, Well, you're a nerd liberty. (laughs) Yeah. So I came in and I basically did this whole rant about how Star Wars Episode One is a series of meetings. And from that, they thought that that was funny. Can I do this on camera? Um, I came in and I wrote up a script and then just started doing a segment called Gory Details on the X show, where which was kind of like the man show, but a more serious take on the man show, like the man show meets the view. <laughs> um, and I was their movie guy. And I came in and did this segment called Gory Details and in which I did reviews and made fun of stuff. And then uh, after being on that for a couple months, they said, hey, do you want to do another show? I pitched this show called The New Movie Show, which the original title of that show was supposed to be Roger Ebert is a big fat idiot, <laughs> which I would, I mean, I, I love and respect Roger for I that mean, big fat idiot. It's inspired. No, I love Roger. He inspired me, but we were just sort of playing off the, the, the Rush Limbo, uh, uh, a book. Um, Rush Limbo is a big fat idiot, um, written by Al Franken. So that's right. I think that would have been a better title for this as a TV show, but they ended up going with the new movie show with Chris Gore. I, Who's a big fat idiot. Ex- yes. Yes. I'm a doughy idiot. I'm de- I, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of building a doughy Seth Rogen-esque, Seth Rogen pre-Green Hornet, um, doughy, sexy. Fozzie the Bear. Yes, Fozzie the Bear, like outer shell. Well, good luck. I'm still working on it. Anyways. Well, they still allow you on television, so you must be doing yeah, right. So, so that was sort of just the genesis was, how did I get on TV? I didn't want to be on TV no aspirations and just didn't care. And that, whereas I think when you meet a lot of actors and actresses, we're talking about actors and actresses, the stink of desperation, it's one of the things when you meet and having cast other things, it's that please love me, please accept me, please. And it would, you know, because I'll get asked advice by actors and actresses at film festivals and whatnot. What should I do? And I said, just become a producer. Then you will develop Material for things that speak to your strengths. Any successful actor, Billy Bob Thornton, Tom Cruise, they're producers. Unless you're a chick, then it's totally different. If you're a hot chick, just remain a hot chick. Be frozen, be frozen and do not age over 30. Because as we know, Hollywood is a lot like Carousel, at least for women. It's a lot like Carousel in the domed cities, uh, portrayed in Logan's Run. <laughs> Once you turn 30, you're dead to Hollywood. I wonder what's happening with that case on IMDb, that woman um, That's right, she's suing. They put her real age on there. They put her real age on there. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something that I, also I've experienced. I mean, I'm, I'm way older than people think I am. You know, I've, I, um, I've got sort of uh, this sort of boyish face. And when I tell people, like, how old I am, I don't say how old I am. I say what year I was born, because then it forces them to do math. <laughs> And I was born in 1965, so then they have to do math and then figure that out. And they go, oh, wow, like, you look good. And it's like, well, I was an indoor kid, A, <laughs> indoor kid, so not really going into the sun. I haven't really abused my body too much with drugs or done anything too self-destructive. And I like to think alcohol acts as a natural preservative. Okay, so I, I, guess, I guess the lesson here is use sunblock or stay indoors. Uh, and 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 uh, not like I have any secret. I just feel like I, I I just I just don't do things that are stupid to abuse my body. But I'm not. I don't feel qualified to give advice to other people about how they should live their lives in terms of like their physical and mental well being. Mm-hmm. If you're believe me, if you're taking advice from me on that, you're making a big mistake. Look at me. Look at me. But I, I got to step out of the podcast just for a second to say that, like, okay, Sean is my producer on this show. And he and I have, to the best of our ability, tried to technically do the show, to, to, you know, w- without any real knowledge coming in. Looking up software on the internet, trying to just buy the equipment that people suggest in the IPA. You do what you think you're supposed to do, and that's what we're doing. Exactly. So, so... Previously, I've been using my MacBook Pro to record into GarageBand. Other people have suggested using handheld digital recorders. Um, we've had so many technical problems back and forth with stuff. This is being recorded on an iPhone. Yes. We're recording this on an iPhone now. So I don't know what you think in terms of the audio quality from previous editions of, of PodCrash, but right now we're standing at a mic stand. I've got the iPhone in a swirly gig with a with, – with, 
a pop filter on it, a little spongy pop filter. I'll take a picture and I'll tweet it out from the Podcrash Show um, uh, uh, um, Twitter account. That's at Podcrash Show on Twitter. But this is how ghetto this arrangement. And the dumb thing is, we were testing microphones. In fact, when I when I went to New yeah. York, when I went to New York on a previous on last week's podcast. You thought that I faked all that. I thought you put the ambient noise of you driving in there. Like, I thought you did something to, to kind of like... I didn't like do a, that. Th- I didn't do that. That was just recorded on... And everything when I was getting out of the car, when I was in the cab going to the hotel, all of that was real just being recorded. It was because I just didn't have time to do the podcast before I left for New York. So I just recorded it on the iPhone and then come to realize that the iPhone actually... Look, this is not a plug for the iPhone at all. This just goes to show that it's really just about like, you know... I mean, it's, to me, it's all about content. I think the audio quality is less important, but the audio quality is important. You, need, you at least need to be able to hear people enunciate what they're saying. This is really boring for people that are tuning into this to hear more about breasts and the period of time I spent at Hustler. I think we should get back into it. Let's get back to The Gentleman's Club with Caleb Bacon. Something to that. So, th- so, so, I think that's how I've been able to. I think it matters less for dudes in in the entertainment yeah, industry certainly. in terms of age. I mean, you know, look at like, I mean, God, I think the combined ages of uh, people who were in the uh, what is it? The combined ages of like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, um, name the top ones. Uh, Stallone, Schwarzenegger. It's like the the the, 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 the you know uh, that that big action movie that they all did, the Expendables. Expendables. Yeah. You combine the ages, it's like six hundred years. Yeah. Of all the people in in that, um, uh, but there really isn't anyone with that kind of gravitas. They're not with that that kind of just that weight. That just that like that that like Kirk Douglas or Charlton Heston like manliness. There there are no Jonah Hill. Oh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. There's not that like. Yeah. What are, what are you gonna? There's just no one with that kind of weight. There's not. There's not that grizzled, manly like Kirk Douglas, Charlton Heston, and even in the '80s, maybe they were on the wane from that generation. We just we're systematically becoming as men bigger and bigger pussies, but prettier. Yeah, prettier, not better skin, but not like when you look at someone like a. That's why I'm excited about like Henry Cavill playing Superman in the upcoming Superman movie. Um, I met him uh, doing the junket for, for Immortals, got to talk to him, in which he told me that, he didn't tell me anything about the movie, but he did say that Superman, the best script he's ever read. Wow. And the guy, when you look at him in, in Immortals, he's not a pretty boy. He's not a pretty boy in the sense that I think that, you know, Christopher Reeves is a pretty boy. Brandon Routh, pretty boy, also a Christopher Reeve lookalike. This Superman they're going after is really a Superman in the sense that like Char- Charlton Heston was a man, you know, like grizzled, imperfect, you know, not, not a perfect looking specimen. I feel like, you know, those kind of actors. Yeah, John lost. Wayne didn't have a six pack. Yeah, exactly. John Wayne didn't have a six pack. Neither of us have six packs. But also you look at like a dude to maintain a six pack, you pretty much, if you're maintaining, you pretty much gay. Let's let's be honest. Like, if you've got a six pack, you're 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 pretty. You're probably a you're probably a gay dude because g- girls really don't care. But if you care that much about your body, then you're maintaining it probably for yourself and or other dudes. And you're multiple lovers or multiple lovers. That you meet God. in the locker room at the Equinox. See, this West is Hollywood. why there's so many so many people will say that they hate the gays. Look, I dislike gays for completely different reasons. They have way more fun than us. Yeah. Way more fun. Their 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 dating lives are better in terms of just like they all date like dudes. Um, they first of all dress fabulously. The, their parties are amazing. They're planning Halloween on you know giving themselves three hundred sixty four days to plan for the next Halloween. And have um, costume parties in the interim. Right, like in a lot of ways because I have a, I have so many gay friends in in Hollywood. Um, I. I have been dubbed honorary gay. Wow. Because, it's, because I, the thing is, is it's like I, I wish I could live the lifestyle you guys do, just not with a dude's butt. Can I just do, <laughs> I want to do all the things you're doing just with a, with a vagina. If, if there's a way we can just flip that. And I've even had like, I was complimenting you earlier on your apartment and how neat it is. Thank you. It's tidy. Thank you. And organized. I love it. I'm the same way. And when I had my own apartment back in the day, people would come over. And they would immediately think I was gay. 
just from the fact that everything was so neat, organized, tidy. You'd open up the junk drawer, had things compartmentalized that, wow. they, that, that would go specifically. There's the, where the scotch tape goes. Uh, definitely. But then you would look at the content of what was there, and there'd be like a football, and there'd be like porno mags. So, so, there'd be, so when you look a at hammer. The, a hammer, you know, my tools, which are all clean and organized and in different drawers and cabinets, so I can, with labels on the outside that tell you exactly. Some sort of hybrid. Yeah, yeah. So, so definitely a, a, a girl that I dated at the time uh, that spent a lot of time at that apartment said, said to me, she said, you has the gay. <laughs> That's the way she would describe it. So, she was a sassy black lady. Yes, but I think that I think you can uh, we can learn from our gay brothers and sisters about better ways to to live our lives. Chris, something I like to do on the show is <laughs> get a piece of advice from my guest, my primarily male audience on living. And you've oh, had really? a variety of success in all sorts of different areas, and it seems like you sort of just tipped a great piece of uh, living information, which was live like a gay. Le- yeah, le- learn from that because because girls. Here's why I'll, t- I'll tell you why this is a because. When women come and see your apartment, they literally are looking at like something that that rep- when they see an apartment that's organized and you have your you know you actually have things in your refrigerator, you have cooking utensils and know how to use them. It shows that you can also be domestic. So you could be crazy, freaking insane. Like when you're dating them, when you bring them to your apartment, it's it's an, they're evaluating you based on how good of a mate you'll be for the future. I'm not saying that you want that, but you may want the option to want that in the future, sure. or at least trick them into thinking that that's what you want. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have uh, friends come to me on occasion who they're having trouble in their relationships. I'm the guy that you always come to. And the dumb thing is I will always tell them, clean, have a clean apartment. A woman wants to see that you've, got, you've created a nest. It's... Yeah. It's dumb. I mean, look, you can you can have you can have sex tips all day, but just having a place that is neat and tidy, a girl sees that and thinks, "Hey, not only uh, will this guy make a good mate, but also he could clean up after me." Not that that's ever going to happen. Well, I mean, no girl wants to be living with a guy or hanging out with a guy, and they don't want to step in shit. That's right. the worst part when you're like when you live with somebody messy. And they just leave things out. This is why you, you might find me with my laptop um, sitting around, and I'm I'm feeling aroused, and I'm getting like, oh my god, this is awesome. And a girl walks in. She thinks maybe I'm doing something, and she sees that. What am I doing? I'm looking at pictures of things organized neatly. <laughs> I actually that has happened before to me. I'm all, I, I'll find it and go, oh, that's so oh. Oh, and you can hear me kind of, you know, I get very excited. I'm, I'm very enthusiastic. Did you go, do you just have like multiple releases when you go into like the container store and just. Are, are you kidding me? Oh my God. When I, yes, the container store, I think there's one in Pasadena that, that I have gone to and uh, I love the container store. I love anything like that where it's just, you can come up with new ways of, of. Storing something. I just want to be able to find stuff. I have a lot of cool stuff in terms of collectibles, and a, I'm juggling multiple projects and, and and whatnot. And I want to be able to find things. So if I say, "Oh, I have a blah blah blah," I have a rocket firing Boba Fett that's mm-hmm. custom made that I bought on eBay 15 years ago. I know exactly where it is. In fact, I used to. This is how I would organize my collectibles. I would put them in in bins, and then on the outside of a bin would be a giant number, and the number would say SW16. Okay, so that would be on the outside of the box. Then the SW16 would correspond to a manifest that I would have on my computer that would be a printout and itemization of everything that was in that box. Right. You're looking at me like you think I'm crazy. No, no, no. I think that's perfectly fine because if you have a lot of stuff, then you should be organizing it. Because how, how, how can you prove that you have it if it's just sitting around in a random box of stuff? And if you apply for an internship with me, I will teach you all these organizational methods. Bring your own brooms. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go back to the final segment from The Gentleman's Club with Caleb Bacan. Shocked about is how many women when I'll have at the time would go to their apartments and their apartments are just shit. Those those domesticated those skills that skill set of women being homemakers is lost. It's like a lost art. It's 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 like there's been a little role reversal. It's bullshit, right? But you're you're asking are you asking me to impart a piece of advice? If you got it, I got a good one. 
let's say you're dating a girl and you want to put your penis in her butt, which I always, <laughs> I am, to me, that's sort of like, it's definitely the holy grail, if not the brown holy grail. Yeah. of uh, Because it's a thing that, for the most part, girls don't want to do. And what I like to do is when I would date a girl, I have a girlfriend, by the way, so um, this is in my, in my single days, um, I would always sort of find the one thing that they didn't want to do, and it would be my goal to do that thing. And re- the recurring thing was always like girls like, oh, I, that's something I don't want to do. What I would say is this to them. I would say, look, to me, anal sex, it's like the yoga of sex acts. You really need to do it just right in <laughs> order for it to be pleasurable. So, look, I would not want to force you to do something that you don't want to do. But I can just tell you that if the only way that anal sex is pleasurable if, if, if you approach it in the way that you approach yoga. Now, why am I saying something as stupid as that? I'm saying that because what I'm doing is I'm painting a picture in a girl's head that like of something that they already like and if they don't already do yoga, they have aspirations to or they have friends who do it. Yoga, oh, I associate that with something that's spiritual and pleasurable. So you're associating this bad thing or what's in their mind a bad thing, anal sex, with a thing that they aspire to or revere or love or enjoy doing, yoga, and you're combining the bad with the good, right? It's the same. This is, this is what the Republicans do when they're trying to argue some, some political point. It's compassionate conservatism, right? It's like, yeah. oh, you know, they'll take something that sounds that's a horrible program and they'll give it a, like, a cute name, like, like the program to save the children that's reclassifying pizza as a vegetable. So by... Planting those words in a girl's head, you basically, and, and you, all it is is like planting seeds. You'll say that. After a while, she'll bring it up because she's so curious. Because it's like, if you're saying it's only pleasurable, then you must know how to do it. You're the butt yoga master. The butt yoga master. See, that's worked for you multiple times, I'm guessing. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. And 100%. 100% success rate with that. Okay, so uh, that's our show for this week. Um you can follow me on Twitter at that Chris Gore. Um, you can follow the show. You want to find out when other new episodes of Podcrash at Podcrash Show on Twitter. Um, and you can also, uh, you know, if you want to drop me a line, go to uh, chrisgore.com, click on contact if you're interested in that internship. Sean, where can we find you? Uh, Angry Hero Sean. Sean was spelled S H A W N if you guys are interested in. Uh, if you're a podcast and you want to be crashed by Chris, that's how you uh, find out. But it's got to be a really good podcast yeah, at this point yeah. because we're now you're being inundated with stuff. And I, I want to do some podcasts that I've never done before. One, I really want to do a crafting podcast. That, that's that's a mission of mine. Is there a podcast on organizing things? There's probably, I'm sure, an OCD podcast somewhere. You know what? So, you know what? I was actually going to suggest that. I think that if there's a podcast, you'll probably find in the health and medicine section, there's got to be a podcast about OCD. But here's the thing. If, if Think about this. I could spend thousands of dollars on therapy to fix my OCD, or I could enjoy a neatly organized space. I don't, I, I, so what, who does that hurt? Having a place that's organized and my towels and sheets are all folded. What I'm really, this is, I know it's, 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 it's embarrassing and I'm, I'm embarrassed and proud at the same time. You shouldn't be embarrassed. I'm just telling you off the bat, you can't be embarrassed about having a clean place because if clean pl- a clean home is a clean mind, in my opinion. I, you know what? I've always said that. I really think that your environment and the space that you live, work, whatever, it's a reflection of your inner self. Yep. So if you're uh, scatterbrained or confused and, dis- and you, 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 don't have, you lack direction in life, you're going to have crap everywhere yeah. in, in, in your bedroom or your office and, and whatnot. I mean, look, things get messy and then you take that time once a week to organize or like me, I, I am doing it when I'm, you know, listening to DVD commentary, I'm, I'm organizing stuff, but, but I, I really think it's a reflection of your inner self, your, your, your outer space. I sound like I'm insane. This is in, incredible. What, 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 what can I say? But, uh, folks, that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Do me a favor. Um, if you're up on iTunes, uh, give us a good review. Give us, uh, if you feel I deserve it, five-star rating. And please post a comment on iTunes when you look up Podcrash with that Chris Gore. That's me. Um, that's it for this week. See you on our next episode. Except I won't see you 
I'll actually, I'm not going to have any contact with you whatsoever unless it's on the internet. And Sean, I have one last thing to say. Maybe you'll join me. Let's get out of here! Hey, if you're still listening to this, you're probably a lot like me. You're the kind of person who stays till the very end of a movie and looks at all the credits. The lights are coming up and you're walking out. You're probably a lot like me. And for that, you shall be rewarded. The first five people to at reply to pod, at Podcrash Show on Twitter and say, let's get out of here, will win a free DVD. Now, it's going to be a DVD of my choice, so it may not be very good. Maybe some review copy that's been collecting dust. But I'll send you a DVD. Let's get out of here. That's all you have to say at Podcrash Show. First five people. And if you send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Podcrash with that Chris Gore, 5042 Wilshire Boulevard, PMB 1500, Los Angeles, California, 90036. Send me a self-addressed stamped envelope. I will send you back a free gift, something you're really going to enjoy. Trust me. Later. The other thing is, the other piece of advice is I'm, I'm a big fan of dirty talk with chicks. I like to do that. And, okay. But, you know, when you, when you, uh, you know, when you date the young girls, they're timid in this arena. What I would always do to get them to talk dirty would be to play a Simon Says game. It's very simple. What you do is you say, um, repeat after me. So I'll say something like, oh, God, I really want to grab your tits. And then she has to repeat that but say, no, you can't. So she'll say, no, you can't touch my tits. And you'll say, oh, man, I really want to grab your ass. And she'll say, no, you can't grab my ass. Then after a while, it becomes like, you know, they start doing it, you know, uh, aristocrat style where they're making their (laughs) own thing up and they're and they're kind of adding. And and basically what you've gotten them to do is to be comfortable talking dirty. And to me, in my head, like, you know, oral sex in the A-U-R-A-L sense is is uh, a turn on. It's great. It's like it's like more uh, so for chicks and guys even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like women love that stuff. So if you can teach a girl how to talk dirty, it's a useful tool, both for your yourself and for her.